Okay, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're, we're looking at today the job description for a Christian. You know, if you're a Christian, you got a job. You got a job, man. It's good to know. You're employed. And not just physical marketplace job, you got a job for the kingdom if you're a Christian. Now, what's the job? Well, Jesus made it very clear. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, our job. He said to all disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to what? To all creation, the whole world. We're supposed to be world changers, man. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to be a world changer. You're supposed to be out there preaching the gospel to the whole world. We're also told, Matthew 4.19, job just, what is, what's our job? Jesus said, follow me. Our job is to follow Christ, and then he will make you a fisher of men, right? That's our job. Uh, Acts 1.8, another part of our job. Jesus said this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is your home, in Judea and Samaria, surrounding areas, and even to the ends of the earth. That's our job. Now, what we're going to look at is what's our job description in the job. Now, if you're a boss of any kind, you know what a job description is. It's, it's what that employee is supposed to be and do. This is your job description. This is what you're supposed to be and do. And so we're going to see today, we've already seen our job. Job is to go and change the world. The job is to go and make disciples of all nations. The job is to preach the gospel of the whole creation. Job is to be a witness for Christ. Our job description is how are we going to do that? How are we going to be this and do this? How are we going to fulfill the job and this job description we're going to see this morning is Paul's talking to his protege pastor, Timothy, describing his job description, but also because of the inspiration of the scripture, that implies to us too. The inspiration of the scripture is saying, this is our job too. And so now, a little context. Second Timothy is Paul's last letter that he wrote. It's his final, really, uh, uh, his final memoir to Tim Timothy is a, a a, a pastoral epistle, what does that mean? It's written to a pastor, his right-hand man, Timothy, that he's passing the baton of ministry to the entire Roman Empire to, to Timothy. It's a pastoral t uh, a, a letter, personal letter. And it's his last letter because he knows from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 68, he knows that he's about to be executed. 2 Timothy 4, verse 68 says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, in other words, a sacrifice, and the time of my departure has come. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who love his appearing. See what he's saying there? He's saying, Timothy, I'm about to be sacrificed. I'm about to be, I'm about to be executed by Nero. And he was. Shortly after writing this letter, he was actually uh, executed, had his head cut off by that Roman emperor, Nero. And so Paul's writing this letter with pathos. He's got some passion. Because in this letter, he's saying, these are the things you need to know, Timothy, as I pass the baton of the entire ministry of the Roman Empire to you. Important stuff today. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, let's get there. And we're going to see six things that describe what we're supposed to be and do in our job of reaching the world for Christ. Six things that describe us, what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do in our job description. If you're there, say amen. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll look at verses 1 through 13. Let's jump right in. Verse 1 says this. You therefore, Timothy, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now, first of all, it says my son. <clears throat> now, Paul, Timothy wasn't Paul's physical son. He was his spiritual son. 
Paul probably led Timothy to Christ in the city of Lystra when he was in his missionary, second missionary journey. Paul discipled him spiritually and uh, helped him grow in his faith as a spiritual father. So he's writing to his son here, and the first thing he says to his son is be strong. The word strong there in Deuteronomy, it means be strengthened and be empowered by what? The grace of God. Grace. What's grace? Grace is undeserved merit and favor from God. And the first thing that we got to have in our job description, if we're going to fulfill the job that God has given us to do as disciples of Christ, to reach the world and make disciples and preach the gospel, is we got to be strong. Strong in grace. we got to remember where we came from before Christ and how Christ has rescued us and he's given us a whole new life. And that's important because sometimes we come to Christ, we start growing in Christ, we get our life together, we forget where we came from. We lose sight of the grace of God in our lives. And that's why it says in Revelation 12, 11, we overcome the evil one who wants to condemn us and accuse us before even God. We overcome his accusation, we overcome his attacks by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of our testimony. If you've been around Calvary Chapel at all here on Sunday mornings and hearing me teach, you hear me over and over again share my testimony. You hear about the way that I was rescued from lostness when I was 17 years old and how I came to Christ and Christ totally changed my life. And I will share that testimony often. Why? Because it keeps me in the grace of God and it helps me share my story of how God's rescued me through his grace. And it's important, church, it's important. If you're going to be who you're supposed to be in this job description of reaching the world, you've got to have a testimony. What, that, what does that mean? First of all, you've got to get saved. Then after you get saved, don't be afraid to share how Christ, by his grace, has saved you and rescued you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were lost. You were headed for hell. And God's reached down by his grace, and he saved you. And he's, he's given you a whole new life. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, amen? And you've got to be strong in that. That's a big part of our witness, is the grace of God and the strength of God's grace in saving us. Don't be ever ashamed of the gospel. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to whoever believes. Be strong in that grace. And here's what happens. As you stay strong in God's grace, the other thing it does for you is it makes you a gracious person. As you walk in God's grace, it keeps you to be gracious towards others because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. It's one of the things that attracted me to Calvary Chapel, by the way. One of the distinctives of Calvary Chapel is grace. It started all the way back in the early days when all the other churches were stiff-arming all the young people that were hippies and said, we don't want anything to do with these people. Their hair is too long, their, weird, their clothes are too weird, their music's too loud, we don't want anything to do with these And you know what Calvary Chapel did in the very first Calvary Chapel? It opened its doors wide by God's grace and invited these young people in and loved them, showed grace towards them and led them to Christ. You've got to be strong in God's grace. And I tell you, one of the things that Pastor Chuck taught us from the very beginning in pastor conferences, the founder of Calvary Chapel, he told us as pastors, guys, if you're going to err, err on the side of grace. If you're going to be Leaning towards one way or the other, lean towards the side of grace. And I'm a grace guy. Heidi says sometimes I'm a grace guy to fault because I'm just, I'm a, I'm, I love grace. And I want to be a, a person of grace. And I want our church 
and our Christians here at Calvary Chapel to be strong in God's grace. I want us to be empowered and strengthened and filled with God's grace. And I want us to be a gracious people. Amen? So let's be strong in the grace of God. Let's show mercy towards people. Let's err. If we're going to err, let's err on the side of grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now verse 2 goes on. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now do you see the process of discipleship there? Paul says to Timothy, hey, I taught you in the presence of many witnesses. I, I taught you the word of God. And as I taught you the word of God, you learned the word of God now so you could teach other people the word of God and then find faithful men to teach the word of God and then have them teach other faithful men and the reproduction continues. That's discipleship. Discipleship is sitting under the teaching of God's word, learning it. Learning it to a point that you can share with other people that will be faithful to learn it also, and then they'll teach other people. Why is that important? Because our great commission is Matthew 28, uh, it says this, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's our great commission. Amen? Someone else is speaking in here. Do you hear that? Someone's what? That's a first. I've never had that happen during a service before. If that's your phone, please turn it off. <laughs> okay, so discipleship is learning. Learning the Word of God. Putting yourself in a place where you can learn. And then as you learn, teach others to learn the Word of God and trust them with it and then let them loose to teach other people. And that's important because that's a part of our job. We're not just called to make decisions. We're called to make disciples. And that's a part of our job description. And hey, you know what that implies? That if you want to make disciples, you got to be discipled yourself. If you want to make disciples, here's what you need to do. You need to put yourself in a place Whereas Timothy, taught by Paul, you could learn God's word well enough that you could share it with other people who will be faithful to learn it, and they'll share it with other people. What does that mean? Get yourself in church. Stay in church. We are a Bible-teaching church. If you stay in church here, you will learn God's word. And listen, I'm just being frank here and honest. There's way too many Christians, even here in the Bible Belt, that, that just go to church when it's convenient. They go to church maybe once a month. Or maybe twice a month. Listen, that's not enough. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to get yourself in church and you need to get taught the Word of God on at least a weekly basis. And really, you need to get past that. You need to get past Sunday morning. You need to get in some groups where you have interaction and you get discipled in God's Word beyond just Sunday morning. And we got the best men's breakfast in the county. I'm, I'm I'm not being biased. We do. We, I mean, if you come to our men's breakfast at 7.30 on Saturday mornings in the cafe over there, we have chocolate chip pancakes. Listen, it's all free. We got oatmeal with blueberries and brown sugar on it. We, we, have, we have the best sausage and bacon and biscuits and gravy and grits. And Am I making you hungry, church? I mean, we got some good, I'm getting hungry just talking about it. And we have that every Saturday morning. Guys, there's no excuse to miss that. It's free. Can I say that? It's free. And not only that, it's free, but after we eat all this good stuff, 
then we open our Bibles. We've got about 50 men. We open our Bibles up, and we go verse by verse through a whole chapter every Saturday morning. And not only do we get taught it, we talk about it. We, we, and the learning curve grows up because as you talk and interact, you learn more. So there's no excuse. Get in, get in men's breakfast if you want to get disciple in God's Word more. And women, I, I got complaints for years about a men's breakfast. You guys get free breakfast, and, you know, we just have Bibles. So we don't have free breakfast. So, you know, we did this last few months. We opened a women's breakfast in Bible study, too. So every Saturday morning, you could come in that cafe, and you get the blueberry on your oatmeal and uh, chocolate chip pancakes and everything else. And that's at 730, and we all do the serving line together, and then women go to the Calvary Kids building themselves. And that's discipleship. That's getting under the teaching of God's Word. And putting yourself to be discipled so that you could disciple others and learn God's word well enough to go on and pass on to other faithful people that will pass on to other faithful people. That's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. You get regular in coming here, you will learn God's word. And that will help you get that into the DNA of your life to the point you could share it with others and then they could be discipled by you. So the second part of be the job description of us as Christians is not only are we to be strong in God's grace, but also we're to get in God's word, put ourselves in a place where we're being discipled in God's word well enough we could share it with others and then disciple other people and fulfill the discipleship process that we're supposed to be a part of here in this world for Jesus Christ. And then verse 3 goes on. Suffer, Paul saying to Timothy and to us, suffer hardship with me, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Okay, so first part of our job description, what was it? Be strong in what? The grace of God. Second part of our job description, be discipled and then be a discipler of others. Put yourself in a place where you're getting under the teaching of God's word on a regular basis and then learn it well enough that you can disciple others. Third part of our job description, I like this. It's actually a picture of who we're at, we're at as Christians. We're to be soldiers. Soldiers for Jesus Christ. Notice, soldiers that are in active duty. What does that imply? It implies that we are soldiers in a war. We're actively involved in duty of war. And the Bible makes it very clear. If you've come to Christ, you're in a war. You're not on vacation for 78 years. You're in a war. And what's the war against? Against the devil who wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. Uh, the war is against powers and principalities, demonic forces in heavenly places that are, that are set to wipe you out. And that's why if you want to be part of this job of winning the world of Christ, you've got to realize you're in a war and you've got to put your armor on. And notice what it says. Oh, a good soldier, active duty, in a war, doesn't entangle himself in the stuff of this world. You don't get entangled in sin anymore. You're running the race with endurance. And not only that, you have a focus. And the focus of any good soldier that's in a war is to win the war, right? And that's what we're supposed to be about as Christians. We're actively involved in a war. We got our armor on, and we're going to go after it, and we're going to win this war. And here's the good news. You put your armor on, you can win. And what's, what's some of the armor? Armor, Ephesians chapter 6, very clear. The helmet of salvation, make sure you have an assurance of your salvation. If you don't know that you know that you're saved, get saved and have an assurance of your salvation. And then also, a part of our armor as soldiers for Christ is we got a shield of faith. What's, what's, what's faith? It's having an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not yet seen. And you put out the fiery darts of the, the enemy because we overcome the world by our faith. 
And then also we have a breastplate of righteousness. What's that? It's having a spirit of obedience that says, I won't be perfect, but I'm going I'm I'm to be obedient. And I'm going to have this right living going on in my life. I have this breastplate of righteousness where I'm going to live in obedience to God's commandments. And then you have the belt of truth. What's the belt of truth? It's this right here. It's the word of God. You shall know the truth. Truth will set you free, right? And as you live in the truth, you're not living in lies anymore. You're living in the truth. You have that belt. You, you, you bring up your loins to that belt and you live in freedom. Because, again, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? And then also there's the, the, the weapons of, of gospel boots, and that's, that's you're, you're proactive. You're going out in the world with the gospel, and you're not ashamed of the gospel, and you're going forth and telling people about Jesus. It's part of our weaponry, but I, one of the most important weapons is what we're doing right now. It's the offensive weapon of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Jesus was in spiritual warfare with the devil, remember what he did? He said, it is written, quoted the word of God from memory. It is written, quoted the word of God from memory. Deuteronomy, it is written, quoted the word of God from memory again. You gotta have God's word in your heart if you're gonna win against the devil. The Bible says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so we need to be people that are at war with the devil, and we're, we're waging that war with the weapons that were given, faith, weapons of righteousness, weapons of salvation, weapons of truth, weapons of the gospel, weapons of the word of God, and then help us win as soldiers, good soldiers for Christ. Now let's go on. After it says soldiers, it says this in verse 5, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he com- competes according to the rules. So we've We've seen we're a soldier, now we see we're an athlete. And I like that. We're athletes. You know what that means? We're supposed to be champions for Christ. And what do, what do athletes do? They win. They go after uh, victory. And you know what? The key to winning, it's saying here, is athletes compete according to the rules. What does that mean? It means that they have a rule book and they keep the rules. What's our rule book? The Word of God. And as we keep the rules of this book, it'll give us victory. I love victory. I don't know, if you know Pastor John at all, you know I like to win. <laughs> I like to win at everything. If you played golf with me, you know I like to win. And sometimes I, 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 in playing golf, I, I try to keep my Christianity going because when I'm losing and hitting balls in the woods, it's, it's hard for me to stay composed because I want to win. I mean, I, even in silly stuff like backgammon, I'll be playing backgammon with Heidi and I mean, I'm praying for double sixes. Come on, got to beat my wife in this. Or, 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 or Jim Rummy, we'll play Jim Rummy thing and man, I'm just praying for good cards because she beats me all the time in that and it drives me crazy. Because I want to win. I like to win. But you know what I like to win the most in? Spiritually. I love to win against the devil. I love it when the Lord gives me victory in an area that I haven't had victory in before. I love when I, when I sense at the end of the day and when I put my head down on the pillow, I said, I got some victories today. I lived in freedom today. I lived according to the rules of this book today. I got some wins today. And you know what? 
I want a whole church full of people that are not only soldiers for Christ, fighting the war. I want a whole church full of people that are winning. God wants you to win. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Uh, Philippians 4, 13 says, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And, and Romans chapter 8 makes it very clear. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And if God be for us, who could be against us? You know that when it says we're conquerors, actually in the little Greek, it's super conquerors. So we should get a new Calvary Chapel t-shirt that has a big S on it because we're super conquerors. Amen? Amen? We are called to win. And that's why we're told by Paul, another athletic comparison, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, Run the race that you're in spiritually in such a way that you may win. And, and he goes on in that scripture and says, one of the ways that we win is we discipline ourselves. We, an athlete disciplines himself. And what's discipline? Discipline is this. It's, it's, it's bypassing self-gratification for future rewards. And when an athlete bypasses uh, self-gratification, like eating that chocolate chip cookie or not getting up to work out, whatever else, you're, you're bypassing that self-gratification for future rewards so you can win. And that's why Paul said to Timothy in 1 Corinthians, or 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he said this, he said this, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. We're in a new year. Be good, as, as, as Mike said, to have some new goals. You know, whatever your goals are, put some goals down on paper, not just physical goals, spiritual goals. I got a number of, of goals that I've written down on my day timer for this new year. And I want to I I discipline myself for the purpose of godliness because I want to win, win in 2020, and I want you to win too. But it's going to take some discipline. Got to set some goals, whether it be read through the Bible, whether it's get yourself back in church on a regular basis, whether it's getting in a small group, whether it's leading some people to Christ, whatever. Set some goals. And then discipline yourself like an athlete, to reach some of those spiritual goals in 2020. Amen? Let's not just have goals of losing 10 pounds. Let's have some goals where we're going to see God do some good things in us and through us as the church of Jesus Christ. Let's be athletes for Christ. Let's be champions for Christ. Then it goes on. Next picture, verse 6. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive the share of of the crops. So we're a soldier, we're an athlete. Third thing, we're a farmer. What do farmers do? Now I'm a city boy, always been a city boy, I grew up in Chicago. My, my dad had this crazy idea when we were kids. Uh, he went in with some other families uh, to buy a farm up in Wisconsin. And I remember I hated that farm because he'd bring us up on there on the weekends and we'd work all weekend. It was a lot of work. He'd have me out there in the fields getting the, the ground ready because they'd grow crops and food out there and stuff. And we'd spend the whole weekend picking up rocks. We'd go, Dad, this is a great idea. I'm glad we're doing this. Instead of sleeping in and having pancakes on Saturday morning, we're out in this field picking up rocks. But what I learned about farming was it's a lot of work. But the goal of the work is crops and to bring in a harvest. And after you work hard, and you get some crops, and you see some corn in the cob that just bursts in your mouth, 
You see some raw, fresh tomatoes, or as some people say, tomatoes. And you see uh, the what, cucumbers and zucchini, and you put it on your salads, and you go, I grew this. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And this is an agrarian culture. This is a farming community that Paul's talking about. In that to- time, one of the main businesses was crops and harvest. And the harvest was always characterized by when the harvest would come in, it was a time of celebration, a time of joy because of all the crops and all the abundance and all the prosperity that those crops brought in. The Lord's been speaking to me lately. And I'll, I don't say that lightly. Because I don't want you to think, you know, I get these audible words from the Lord. I, I don't. But he, gives, he speaks to me through, in my spirit and gives me leadings. I call them whispers from the Holy Spirit sometimes. And so I shared at Christmas one of the things the Lord's been speaking to me about is that 2020 for Calvary Chapel Lexington is going to be a year of harvest. What does that mean by that? I mean, we're going to see a whole crop, a whole harvest souls coming to Christ this next year. I think we're going to see that. And I'm excited for that. I'm excited about the fact that this next year, I believe, we're going to see many, many, many people go from darkness to light through the ministry of Calvary Chapel. And I, I share that at Christmas. I really feel that's the word for 2020 for our church. Harvest. And we're going to be a whole bunch of farmers bringing in a harvest. But I got another word from the Lord right after Christmas. I was... <laughs> I have this jacuzzi on our back porch, and I like it. I call it hydrotherapy. And someone, a little kid laughed at that back there. And what I do is, is I'll come home from work, whatever, and I'll jump in the jacuzzi, and just by myself, I'll just sit in that thing and bubble up. And I'm getting older, so things are sore all the time. I get in that thing, and woo, I like it. So this is right after Christmas. I'm sitting on the back porch, and I'm doing my hydrotherapy. And uh, Lord spoke to me in my spirit. And he said, you know, I, I, he, was, he was reaffirming that this year is going to be a year of harvest. But then he kind of rebuked me a little bit. And he said, you know, John, you've been doing a good job in the gospel when you preach on Sunday mornings, on Friends Sunday, you give the gospel. People are bringing in some harvest. Some people are getting saved through that. But John, you've got to fan into flame that gift I've given you of personal evangelism. You haven't been doing that. So I played Jacob a little bit as I was feeling that leading. I said, but, but God, I'm a shepherd of sheep. I'm with the sheep all the time. I don't, I don't have a lot of non-saved friends or people, connections and stuff. And so, how, Lord, how, how am I going to be leading people, personal evangelism to Christ? And he, he rebuked me some more. He said, okay. And just in my spirit, he was saying to me, well, you got a food pantry, right? And when people come in the food pantry, they, they don't just need food. They need Jesus. So when people come in that food pantry, share Jesus with them. And they said, and you, you got you a U-turn for Christ, too. And you got guys every week coming in a U-turn for Christ. And they're coming off of drugs. And they're coming off the street and everything else. And when they come in, why don't you share Christ with them right, right, right check in day? Share Christ with them. And then he said, and if you pray about it, I'll give you other divine appointments too. I said, okay. Commander-in-chief, yes, sir. And so right after that, Heidi and I went to the beach for New Year's and spent a couple days at the beach and 
And you know, I'm, again, I'm a comp- competitor, so Heidi sleeps in in the morning. I go find the right around the right around from where we're staying. There's this little golf course, and I didn't go golfing, but I found a putting green because I wanted to work on my putting for the new year, right? And so, so I'm I'm, I'm putting. I'm putting right after, right around New Year's in early morning, and this other guy comes up, and he's putting right next to me, and I'm a competitor, so I said, hey, let's do a round, and let's see who wins. And I find out as I'm putting with him, I find out that he's a, a, a former professional snowboarder. It's kind of cool. I thought, oh, that's cool. We talked about it some and everything else, and then I found out that he, he also is a, he owns a painting company in New Hampshire. Talked about that some and everything else, and then I beat him in the putting contest, praise the Lord, and, uh, <laughs> and, and then after I beat him, I go, he goes, well, let me show you this new golf club I got. I go out to his pickup truck, and he's showing me this new golf thing he's got and stuff, and as he's showing it to me, he asked me the dreaded question. You know what the dreaded question is? What do you do for a living? And he liked me all the way up into that point. And I said, well, I'm the pastor of a Calvary Chapel in Lexington, South Carolina. And I thought he was going to push me away. But you know what he did at that point? He goes, well, I, I just got through with Christmas. And I had this question. He said, what is this thing that people call the immaculate conception? And I said, well, let's talk about that. I just did a Christmas Eve service, and I talked about that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he's born of a woman, Mary, and so he's fully God, and he's fully man. And we talked about that for a little while, and as we talked about that, I realized he didn't understand, and he was lost, and he wasn't a Christian. I could tell by our interaction. And so the Lord said, okay, here you go. Here you go. And so I went like this. See this, this bracelet I got? It's called a gospel bracelet. Let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel is that Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. And he rose on the third day. And then he, and I said, can, can I go through these colors with you? And I went through each color, which is a different point of the gospel. And then I got to the, you know, the white is God's holiness. The black is our sin. The red is Christ's blood for our sin. The blue is heaven. And then, and then, then I said this. I said, and you know, heaven's a place God wants you to go because God doesn't want any to perish but all to come to repentance and I said, and would you like that? Would you like to receive Christ right now? And then you could go to that blue place, heaven. He said, yeah, let's do that. Amen. I said, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, sta- I'm standing in the parking lot of this golf course with this guy right around New Year's. And, and, and by his pickup truck, we're praying, and he's receiving Christ. And I go, praise the Lord. And then, you know, another thing the Lord spoke to me when I was having that hydrotherapy in the jacuzzi, he said, I, and, and I'm a number guy, it just helps me to have goals and stuff, and he spoke to me, he said, I'd like to see you, John, lead a hundred people to Christ through personal evangelism in this next year. I go, wow. Okay? And then my math mind started working and stuff, and I go, well, that's, that's two a week for 52 weeks. And so after this guy prayed with me in the parking lot, I said, well, I got one done this week. <laughs> and so then I, then I come back to work, and we're in the office Thursday and Friday, and uh, sure enough, someone comes in for the food pantry, an older gentleman comes into the food pantry and on Thursday, and um, uh, uh, I see him out in the office, and I'm studying. I get my message in for Sunday. I go, Lord, I really got this done. And the Lord said, no, 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 you, you, you invite that guy in the office. Older gentleman, I invited him to my office while he was waiting for his food. Went through the bracelet with him. Sure enough, he goes, yeah, I'd like to pray. Receive Christ. And I go, God, I got my two. I'm done for the week. 
And next day, Friday, the Lord brings a new guy um, from Charleston, I think, to our U-turn for Christ. Joe Brown, overseer, I told him about my goal of leading more people to Christ through personal evangelism. He's knocking on my door. Hey, Pastor John, he brings the guy in. We talked about Jesus, went through the bracelet. He received Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I'm going, all right, Lord, let's do this thing. And I tell you what, by bringing in some of those crops this week through personal evangelism, my crank got moving, man. And I said, this is exciting. This is the most exciting thing we could do, church, is to be farmers bringing in the harvest. And we're going to see in some incredible things this year as we see hopefully hundreds of people come to Christ through our outreaches and our personal evangelism, we're going to see a harvest come in. And let's be a part of that. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's do it. Let's see what God does in this next year. Because it's, it's exciting. When people, the harvest comes in and new Christians get on fire for the Lord, it'll fire us up also. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, let's close it up now. Go back to our scripture. It says this. Consider what I say for the Lord, verse 7, who will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. You know what Paul's saying there? He says, you can put me in prison. You can't put the word of God in prison. What, what Paul's saying there, very clearly, he's saying that heaven and earth yeah, may pass away, but God's word will never pass away. And when God's word goes forth, it doesn't return empty. It accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. You can't put God's word in prison. You just need to let God's word out. I think it was uh, Spurgeon that said, hey, you don't have to defend God's word. God's word is like a lion. Just let it out of the cage. Share it with some people and it'll do its work. Paul says God's word cannot be imprisoned. And then it says, verse 10, For this reason I endure all things, for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with the eternal glory. It's a trustworthy statement, for if we've died with him, we shall also what? Live with him. If we endure, we shall also what? Reign with him. If we deny him, he's going to what? He's going to deny us. Now listen, church, this is what, what that's saying. I think Mike explained this when he was teaching a couple weeks ago. It's not saying if you make some mistake and slip up, Christ is going to deny you. This is talking about salvation. And if you go your whole life denying Christ, rejecting his invitation of salvation, he's knocking on the door of your heart, and you don't open that door, you deny him in that way. Christ honors that decision at the end of your life. And if you deny him and reject him, He's saying that's what you'll have for the rest of eternity. If you deny Christ your whole life, he ultimately won't deny. But here's the good news. If you confess Christ, he'll confess you before the Father. That's what he said. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And then the last part of this verse, one of my favorite things on this scripture, it says this. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because he can't deny himself. This is talking about the immutable character of God. God's character is different than ours. We can be faithful one day and fickle the next day. God can't do that. God will always be faithful. God was faithful yesterday. God will be faithful tomorrow. God will be faithful forever because he can't deny who he is. His character is immutable. I love that because when we make mistakes and we drop the ball, 
and we're faithless, we are at times, it says God will still be faithful because he can't deny who he is. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? In the faithfulness of God's goodness. It's one of those songs that when we sing, I think about God, you just can't deny yourself. You're just, you were good yesterday, you're good tomorrow, you'll be good for the rest of eternity. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed are we because we put our trust in him. And I love God's faithfulness. I love that hymn. It's one of my favorite hymns. Great is thy faithfulness. Harvest and moon, all seasons of our lives, God is faithful. All right, so what did we learn? What's our job description? What's the six things that we should be about and what we should do? Number one, we should be strong in what? The grace of God. Number two, we're supposed to be in a place where we're being discipled and we're disciplers. Number three, we get some pictures. We're good soldiers. Number four, we're supposed to be athletes for Christ. Number five, we're supposed to be farmers that are bringing in the harvest for Jesus. And number six, this last thing I want you to see here is we're supposed to endure hardship and then re- trust in God's faithfulness. And listen, church, a part of living in a cursed world is there's going to be some trouble. In the midst of trouble, you've got to endure it and then trust in God's faithfulness. He is faithful even when we're faithless because he cannot deny himself. One of my heroes is Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott was a 20-year-old, 20-something-year-old missionary that went with his wife and some other missionaries to South America in the 1950s. And they felt a calling to witness to these um, tribes people down there that were barbaric and killing each other. And they, they, they flew over, the, one of the guys was a pilot, they flew over this tribe a number of times, threw gifts down to them, and then one day they felt led to go down there, land the plane, and then share Christ with them. Well, these, these natives didn't understand it, never saw a plane, they thought these guys were bad people or something. They killed Jim Elliott and his, his buddies. They sent his body and his missionary friends down a river back to their wives. Shortly before this happened and he was martyred, he wrote in his journal, and his wife Elizabeth Elliot went on to write a book on that journal called The Shadow of the Almighty. He made a great statement. He said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So we need to keep that in mind. When hardships come, hey, soon and very soon, we're going to see our king. And consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let that endurance have its perfect result, that you might be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen? So six things about our job description. Now, I want to close today with asking you the question, are you in the job? Have you enlisted? Have you received Christ? If you haven't, what are you waiting for, man? Get her, as we say around here, get her done, man. Get her done. Receive Christ. The Bible's very clear that God, Christ is knocking on the door of every single human being's heart, and it's just a matter of opening your heart. Let me share the gospel bracelet with you all. And this will not only be for those that don't know Christ, but this will be for those that want to learn how to do this bracelet. Let's, go, let's show it up on the screen. First of all, there's the color white. Throw it up there for us, Carlton. 
gospel bracelet. You see white right there? That symbolizes God is holy. First Peter says that God is holy. Book of Revelation says angels around the throne of God are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God's holy, but God also is purely in love with every single human being. The whiteness represents not only holiness, but the purity of his love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, amen? That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but has eternal life. But God's got a problem. It's called a sin problem with us. And the black color right there, it talks about the darkness of our sin. And it says in uh, uh, Romans 3.23, all men, or it says the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all men, Pastor John included, all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the problem. That's our sin problem. And because God's holy and we're sinful, we're separated from this holy God. But God solved the problem. How did he solve the problem? By sending Jesus to die on the cross and shed his blood for you on the cross. That's the red represents the blood of Christ shed for you. That's why Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished, paid in full. But there's another color there, right next to the red. After the death of Christ, represented by the red, is blue. Blue represents heaven. It's a real place. Jesus called it paradise. And there's one thing we must do if we're going to receive the gift of eternal life. That's belief. 200 times in the New Testament, we're told just simply believing in Jesus as your Savior and Lord will save you and get you to heaven. We're justified by faith, and thus we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Bible says only those that have received Christ, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. So there's got to be a time where you've received Christ. And if you're here this morning and you haven't received Christ yet, Hey, 2020, Sunday, one of the first Sundays in this new year, let's, let's get her done. Let's receive Christ. And I'll help you do that during this prayer time by just leading you in a prayer. Now let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning, God. Thank you that your word is true. And this word is what sets us free. Thank you, God, that you've given us a job to do. The job is to win this world to Christ to bring in that harvest you've called us to bring in, Lord. And so, Lord, help us to be those people you've called us to be. Help us to be fitting this job description well, Lord. Help us to be people that are strong in the grace of God. Help us to be people that are being discipled and discipling others. Help us to be people that are good soldiers, active duty soldiers, not entangled in the stuff of this world, but having a focus of winning the war for you, God. Help us to be good athletes, too, that are competing according to the rules and keeping this playbook that you've given us, the Word of God, and, and living it out in our daily lives. Help us to be good farmers, too, that are bringing in the harvest. Wise are those who win souls, according to the book of Proverbs. Help us to be about that business, Lord. And Lord, when we have hardships, help us to endure. Help us to, in the testing of our faith, help us to continue to trust you, Lord, and continue to push on to that upward call of God that you have for our lives and help us to remember you're faithful Lord you were faithful yesterday you're faithful today you'll be faithful for the rest of eternity and Father I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that that hasn't crossed the line of faith yet if they were to die today they wouldn't know for certain they're going to heaven Father I pray for them and I pray that you might be knocking on the door of their heart I know you are Lord 
And I pray that they might open their heart to your love this morning, God. And if you're here this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up front here. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'll pray for you. And I'll lead you in a prayer that will help you open your heart to God's love and to Christ. If you're here this morning and you want to do that this morning, here's what I want you to do. Just raise your hand and say, Pastor John, I want you to pray for me that I might open my heart to Jesus this morning and I might receive Christ as my Savior and my Lord. If you're here and God's knocking on the door of your heart, you want me to just pray for you right now, just lift up your hand right now and I'd love to pray for you. Praise the Lord right back here in the corner. Keep your hand up and I'll pray for you in just a minute. Anybody else, if you're here and just want to receive Christ, raise your hand right now and I'd love to pray for you this Sunday morning, 2020. You might be knocking on the door of your heart. If he is, raise your hand and I'll pray for you just in a second. Anybody else? If he's knocking, don't be afraid to open, open up your heart to his love. Well, praise the Lord. That individual back here with his hand raised, stand up right now. I'll pray for you right now. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and stand up and I'll pray for you right now. Just pray this prayer. And church, pray out loud with this individual back here. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Lord Jesus, I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, church. Praise the Lord.